Welcome to the Insider World Building Podcast, the place where you can experience life in another dimension, told from the perspective of a visitor to that dimension. I'm Fox Keys. That visitor is me. That dimension is called Dunaree. And I have lived here since I was tricked into passing through an interdimensional gateway just after my 14th birthday. Not only do I wish to share the story of how I survive in Dunaree, I hope my experiences in how I was taught to understand this world may help you build your own unique secondary world. In this episode, I describe my first meeting with people outside of Ganhub's fortress. I discuss how creating an interesting local population will enhance your world building. And the strange but true explains how the spirits in Dunaree gained their legal rights. This episode is sponsored by Felgoya. I have no idea who or what Felgoya is. I got zero information about them. They might as well be the man of the moon for all I know. The only theory I have is that the name is so well known in Dunaree that they don't need any introduction. And again, if that was the case, I'd have heard about them too. Regardless, if they want to sponsor the show, and so be it. I'll read out anybody's name here now at this point. So then, on with the show. My first sight of the Bowen Jewelers fascinated me. It made me more confident that the world outside didn't just contain terrors. I mean, what's not to like about treasure? I would bring bags of treasure home with me once I got the chance. It would be adequate compensation, I decided, for the ordeal I was going through. I went to bed dreaming about treasure that night, and when I woke at 6am, I went to the window to watch the jewellers again. Although room zero wasn't high enough to overlook the jewellers' roofs, the glow from their fires was visible, and it gave me a sense of relaxation I hadn't felt for days. I watched that glow until it sank away into the dawn. Then Steincat arrived and said, Today is your lucky day. Hurrah, hurrah. Uh-oh, shiny top hissed. Coming from that sourpuss, it sounds more like it's going to be your unlucky day. I choked back a laugh. The last thing I wanted was for these two to go at each other. Not so rarely, anyway. I said... What's so lucky, lucky, hurrah, hurrah about today? Because, Steinkad said, you'd be visiting the jewellers to get your collar and chain. I glanced at Shiny Top, but he remained quiet. I said, collar and chain? What collar and chain? Steinkat puffed up her chest. It's to stop you running away when I bring you for walks. No, I didn't really like the sound of that. I had already been fed by a cat, lectured by a cat, and petted by a cat. Now I was going to be walked by a cat? Surely that couldn't be legal. Count yourself lucky, Steinkat said. 
the bone jewellers make the finest collar and chains in the city. I didn't care if the chain was solid gold and dripping with diamonds. I'd only wear such a thing at a rap concert. And to make matters worse, that blasted cat wouldn't tell me when we were going to do, go to the jewellers. She just told me she would return later and that I should study a bit in the meantime. It was impossible to study. All I could think about was the idea of attaching a collar and chain to my neck and being walked by a cat. So, I practiced drawing cats for a while. Big, ugly cats. Cats that looked remarkably like Steincat. Steincat didn't comment on the drawings when she returned at noon. She led me outside, across the square, and into a doorway cut into a building constructed from a humongous leg bone. We passed on a flight of wooden stairs into a room that was so dark it didn't seem to have any ending. I said, this doesn't look much like a jeweler's. Shiny Top said, it's their workshop. The place was so dark, a mountain of gold wouldn't have brightened it. Before my eyes adjusted, a small woman clad from head to toe in a leather blouse type thing appeared and said, You're early. Steincast said something and they both laughed. Then, without a word to me, she raised my chin, measured my neck and swiveled my head before saying to Steincast, Come back in an hour. It'll be ready then. She slipped away into the darkness and, like I was caught in her wake, I drifted after her. The workshop fascinated me. I wanted to see more. I wanted to see treasure. For a jeweler's workshop, however, it was disappointingly empty of treasure. I mostly discovered walls full of files and hammers and gauges and other tools, and shelves stuffed with an astounding array of rocks. Combined with the smell of oil and metal, it reminded me of the craft museum I'd visited once outside Dublin. Blue firelights illuminated thick wooden benches, their surfaces oiled and beaten shiny over countless years. Harder back, I saw a girl hunched over a bench, using pliers to twist golden treads around a glass goblet. A wispy, grey old man stood over her, whispering in her ear. Only, he wasn't standing over her. He was floating over her. I gasped. Both of them glanced my way, the girl smiling, the old man frowning. Of course I had known human ghosts existed. Shiny top with proof of that. But actually seeing an unliving, unbreeding, what was once a human, person, however, stunned me. This man had once been alive. Now this man was dead and staring straight at me. And I was staring back, staring right through him. He had been instructing the girl. My mind tried to make sense of it, and the only sense it came up with was that the ghost had once been a jeweller and was now instructing an apprentice. Actually, even though I wasn't sure this was true, I was proud of my analysis. I was thinking more like a doonery person day by day. A ghost teacher? Well, why not? It made a perfect kind of sense. 
I fled back to Steincat, who was examining a tree full of gold rings. We went outside and strolled along the edge of the square. Steincat said that every building, despite its size or shape, was a jeweller's. I'd never have guessed. There were no big signs, no big displays, or no big windows full of gold. The only signs were subtle marks over each doorway, squiggly lines, circles, and chunky, diamond-shaped things. Every doorway was packed with shadow, and within every shadow was a face. A real face. These weren't ghosts. Whenever we stopped to look within these doorways, the face would smile, and a portion of the darkness would clear to reveal some gleaming treasure. I absolutely loved it. I could easily imagine a big black limo pulling up at some famous rapper like Tupac getting out to buy some bling. Yet, I couldn't fully relax, not with all the thoughts of what might soon end up around my neck. Whatever it was, I was pretty sure it wasn't something Tupac would wear. Steincat knew the jewellers by name, and they all knew him. Whenever we would stop in a doorway, the darkness would tend to reveal golden cow covers, or golden neck chain, or some other golden thing that would look cool on a cat. As if hypnotised, Steincat stared in silence at these wonders. Simple, pathetic creature, Shiny Top said, addicted to glittering things. Steincat laughed and said, We should dip you in gold. You'd look much better with a nice shiny cap. A uniformed man passed out of a doorway. Tendrils of darkness briefly clung to him. The darkness reminded me of Gantuk's intruder detection spells, and I wondered if this doorway darkness was a similar security system. We returned to the workshop, wearing an undertaker's smile. The jeweller appeared and fixed a silver collar around my neck. It weighed a ton and the gleam of it hurt my eyes. No, no, no way, I said. I'm never wearing this, not even on Halloween. The jeweller smiled so broadly I thought her jaw would fall off. Steincat laughed, and from further back in the shop came a subdued tittering, like other people were laughing at me too. The jeweller sighed and said, Ah, doesn't fit anyway. I guess I'll just have to find something better suited for you. She disappeared and returned and fitted a wristband around my wrist. Made from a dull brown metal and decorated with the same squiggly writing I'd seen over the jeweler's doorways, it had a green stone set into it. A sliver of bone sat within the gem. It was one of the coolest things I had ever seen. I said, This is mine. Shiny Top said, Yes. This is what you were always going to get. That cat was just messing with you with all that talk about collar and chains. Right then, I was glad it was dark because the others couldn't see me blush. Stein Cat patted my shoulder and laughed again. The jeweller patted my shoulder and laughed louder. The girl appeared from the rear of the shop, the ghost man beside her. They laughed too. Though I figured there was nothing else for me to do but laugh along with them. 
Yes, I'd been pranked good and proper. More importantly, I realised that both Steincat and the jewellers had set me up to see if I could take a joke or freak out. I knew then I was going to get on very, very well with the bone jewellers. Now, a little bit of context about understanding locals in your secondary world. If you look outside your front door, what do you see? Something nice, I hope. If the protagonist in your secondary world looks outside their front door, what do they see? Something nice? Something ugly? Something weird? Or something that might scare the smile off a statue? It's up to you what your protagonist sees. It can be nice or ugly or weird or dreadful, just as long as it's interesting and adds mood to the world. And even more interesting than what they see, who are the people they meet when they go outside? Creating a local community will help you to create the broader society in general. Although my introduction to the local population in the City of Bones was relatively straightforward, by doing re-standards anyway, when you're building your world, it's an idea to take some time to understand how the local population exists. Yes, developing heroes and warriors is great, but don't forget the everyday folk. After all, it's the everyday folk that affect our lives the most, and it's the everyday folk that make up the vast majority of our world. While a ruler can enable great changes that may affect us in the long term, it is the activities of the people around us that shape our lives from moment to moment. That's why it's important to know what makes the ordinary folk tick. What do they desire? What do they fear? What social rules do they operate under? Whether you live in China or Iceland, a palace or a shack, your basic daily needs will be similar. You need food, shelter, security. Likewise with the population of your secondary world. Even if they're not human, they need to display some human characteristics in order for your audience to relate to them. While the bone jewellers were human, before I understood them, they were as alien to me as Santa Claus. Playing a joke at me demonstrated their humanity and helped me to get to know them better. So, after you create your wonderful city and populate it with wonderful local people, how do you get to know those locals as humans and not cardboard cut-out characters? or clichés, spend some time developing some interesting local characters. While these characters may be simply walk-on characters, or play no role whatsoever in your story, they are incredibly useful to have around. Maybe you can think of them as advisors. One such advisor could be a local gossip, who would tell you all about the juicy, scandalous underbelly of the society. Or create a whinger, and pop them in the local tavern. Fill them a drink and listen to their complaints. Why are they whinging? What turned them into whingers? And what solutions did they have to fix all the problems in the locality? Develop these characters as thoroughly as any major character, but keep the details relevant to the locality. The attitude of the locals will influence the atmosphere of your locality. If the local football team is in a cup final, 
the buoyant mood in the locality will be infectious. Conversely, if the local balance is threatened or upset, then the atmosphere will shift dark. And what could threaten the locals' way of life? Once I got to know the bone jewellers, I discovered that their priority was fighting off those who wanted to muscle in on their prime properties surrounding Ganhook's compound. This led to heightened tension and suspicion in their locality. So stir things up in your locality. Create conflict. Don't let the locals get complacent and lazy and think they're living in some kind of utopia. And if you want to get some inspiration about the people in your world, just walk around your own neighbourhood. Or better still, recall your childhood neighbourhood. Take notes on the people you see. What do your neighbours look like? How do they construct, modify and individualise their homes? How do they interact with others? Who are the kind ones? Who do you avoid? And why would you avoid them? When you were a child, how did your neighbour's behaviour affect your perception of your environment? Use some of these people and their homes to base your otherworldly neighbourhood on. And you can always have a bit of fun later and maybe hint to your neighbours about how you got inspiration for a neighbourhood in your world. But be warned, avoid personal details. Otherwise, all the millions of money you make from your creative project may just well be lost in libelous lawsuits. This episode's Strange But True relates how the ghosts of the City of Bones gained their legal rights. Although the vast majority of the dead passed through the Great Spirit Gateway, a tiny minority remain in the City of Bones. Before the first of the Shadow Edicts was enacted, the City of Bones was not an easy place for these spirits. Not only did they lose all their worldly belongings and all their human rights, they suffered the stigma of being left behind, not passing through the Great Gateway, and they could end up in quite a predicament. Homelessness was the greatest threat. Just because you left your home to one of your children didn't mean your child wanted you there, even if you were only a spirit. This couldn't go reasonably well if the spirit remained in the background. But some parents couldn't stop interfering in their children's lives. And suddenly, some children actually hated their parents. This led to problems. Dead parents causing trouble because they wanted a house for themselves and children using exorcists to drive their dead parents out. At times, it really got out of hand, affecting property prices, the health of the living, and the mental health of the dead. Properties got damaged too. Some properties were even destroyed in these fights. The best-selling book, Ghosts Go Psycho, examined this in more detail. It's worth a buy. And on top of this were the few spirits who voluntarily chose to remain in the world of the living. These were usually those with unfinished business or craftsmen who remained in order to pass on their skills to apprentices. Eventually, with all this trouble, in a rare intervention in the world of the living, the bone shadows raised the issue with the Imperator. And soon after that, the first of the shadow edicts the right of lawful habitation, 
was introduced. For the first time in history, spirits got legal rights. If they were tied to their former home, and that home was to be sold, they gained the right to interview a potential home buyer to ensure that they all got along if the home buyer moved in. They could also demand that whatever child got left the property in the will, that child had to treat them decently. And they could claim one room in the property dedicated to their own privacy. To support these rights, the spirits had access to an arbitration panel if they had any complaints to make. In return, the living homeowner could insist on their privacy too. This especially dealt with the biggest problem discussed, the issue of a dead parent hopping into the bedroom at an inappropriate time. Once the edict was enacted, a new peace settled over the city of Bones. Of course, ghosts could still moan about other things. But moaning ghosts were already clichés that most people ignored. So the moaning soon fell out of fashion. And the first edict led to seven more, mostly aimed to reduce spirit discrimination. For some, particularly those with fractious relationships with their children, the edicts eased their minds during their final days on earth. That's it for this episode of the Insider World Building Podcast. Next time, I will describe how I was taught to understand Dunery city maps. I discuss ways to create interesting maps. And the strange but true tells the story of the Roystick map, the only map in history that existed before the location it portrayed existed. Once again, this episode was sponsored by the mysterious Felgoya. I promise I will investigate Felgoya and I will tell you who or what they are the next time. Until then, Happy New Year and goodbye. Or, as we say in Dunery, Dreivik. The white bee blending swizzle steel, the film machine is sure to be in the first chance in.